This is Novel Marketing, the show that gives you innovative ideas on how to sell more books. With your host, agent, author, and marketing maven, Thomas Umstead Jr. And best-selling, award-winning author and marketing guru, James L. Rubart. Episode 188. I'm James L. Rubart, but you can call me Jim. I'm Thomas Umstead Jr. And I'm Melissa Ferguson. And in this episode, guys, we're going to talk to you about how one author applied many of the things that we discuss here on Novel Marketing and how she used them to launch her career. And you've probably already figured out that that author is Melissa Ferguson. Now, Melissa and I met, I want to say it was 2017 at the ACFW conference in 2017. I remember uh, talking with her and thinking, okay, this gal's sharp. Uh, she's somebody to keep an eye on. And she is sharp. She writes heartwarming romantic comedy for Thomas Nelson, but she's also an adjunct professor of the New Testament. So she is someone that has a lot going on in her brain. And her debut novel, The Dating Charade, releases on December 3rd, 2019. So congratulations on that, Melissa, and welcome to the program. Thanks so much. All right, it's case study time. So uh, let's just kick things off with your story. How did you go from unpublished, obscure, getting started author to published author? Give us your your origin story as if you were Spider-Man <laughs> getting bitten by a spider. <laughs> the superhero origin story, I love it. Yeah, um, well, I, was, uh, I graduated seminary at Asbury Seminary, and we had a sudden job location switch for my husband where he was supposed to spend six weeks in Ohio um, doing construction management and I went with him but um, so I was in an extended stay for 12 hours a day while he was at work and I had literally just nothing to do I went from full-time seminary to having nothing I'm just sitting in a hotel couldn't even cook we didn't even have a kitchen so um, I remember (laughs) on television one day part of the Twilight movie came on, which I had beforehand made fun of, but it turned (laughs) off and I decided to read all four books in like, you know, four days. And when I finished that, I remember walking into a grocery store and seeing a girl with a tattoo of a vampire bite on her neck. And I thought to myself, you know, this woman, Stephanie Meyer, has impacted the entire nation in a huge way. And wouldn't that be incredible if there was a way to write something adventurous and fun and romantic, but also something a little bit meaningful from some of the things that I learned in seminary. So I had nothing else to do. I was in a hotel. And uh, so I just started writing to see what would happen. And I absolutely fell in love with it. And I just started writing for 12 hours a day. And what was supposed to be six weeks in Ohio turned into a year there, (laughs) but always with the idea of, oh, it should be just a couple weeks, just a couple weeks. So I never was able to have a job. Um, So I literally just wrote for like an entire year. And then um, after a few years, which was way too late, you should definitely go to a writer's conference in the beginning of your writing. Um, But after a few years, I decided to take the plunge and go to my first writer's conference. It was the um, Philly Christian Writers Conference. And um, I actually had 16-week-old twins at the time, and we drove through the night. (laughs) I was was running late, so we drove from 10 p.m., got there at like 7.30 in the morning, and I jumped into classes. Um, 
with my twins there and uh, had just the most incredible time ever. It is Christian conferences or writers conferences in general are just the most encouraging places to be ever. Um, And so I ended up winning an award there that Eva Marie Everson gave me. And that really gave me the encouragement um, to, to then attend my first ACFW conference and really make the plunge and go across the country a few months later. So you submitted some of your writing to the Philly conference then, like a contest or a short snippet? Yeah. So she had a, yeah, she specifically had a contest going uh, independently with Believer's Trust. And so I submitted like 30 pages beforehand. And then um, I actually went on stage to accept my award wearing one of my twins. <laughs> <laughs> and um, it was just a really incredible experience. And it means so much when, when it, if you sit down for one of those pitches, just to have an agent or an editor say, you know, there's potential here, this is good, or what, you know, it just meant the world. And I learned so much. And um, so shortly after that, um, I ended up getting an agent. And um, that book, actually, I have hid it away. Actually, Jim, I think you I think you have been a judge for that book, like last year or two years ago for the Cascade. Oh, is that right? Yeah. <laughs> um, but I shelved it because that was spec, and um, I ended up turning it to do kind of a heartwarming romantic comedy. And um, and then my agent is Jim Hart. He's with Heartland Literary, and he sent it out in like – May and it took like three or four months and Thomas Nelson picked me up and um, and so I'm signed the contract with them in October. So I want to point out something here because I think a lot of people when they heard that you spend a year locked away writing a book that that would be the book <laughs> that that would be the no. book that puts you on the map that that would be the book that got you published and I think this is uh, something a lot of people don't realize is that your first book is almost never the book that will actually take you to success. And one of the things that holds a lot of authors back is that they're too in love with their first book to set it aside and move on to their next book and take everything that they learned building the first book uh, into the next book. Another thing I want to point out is some people are listening right now going, wait a minute, that was a very fast track between I think I should write and getting a contract. But if you look at the hours, you were actually putting in hours and hours and hours every day. So if we look at the 10,000 hour rule, you probably, you probably reached that in that year. And years though, I graduated from seminary in I think 2011. So it's been seven years or something like that. So it was a while because I spent four years working on that first book that I fell in love with and didn't want to change at all. Like you were saying, Thomas. So I absolutely agree with you. Sometimes you do have to kind of let it go a little bit <laughs> and work on the next thing. Very good. So where in this point did you discover novel marketing? Let's let's get the novel marketing tie in. <laughs> oh, gosh. Novel marketing. I know. I even wrote a list of my favorite podcasts. <laughs> um, <laughs> gosh, when did I discover novel marketing? Um, it had to be probably last year, a year ago, maybe. And I have sped through. I have probably listened to all of Byte, but like two at this point. <laughs> <laughs> we love you, Melissa. Yeah, I'm curious <laughs> with the two that didn't make it work, but you don't, you don't have to tell us that. <laughs> no, they will make it. Here's what I do. I end up, um, well, I have so many children and they're all so small. Um, so I try and get away and listen to your podcast. It's like a retreat for me. So I go and I mow the lawn and I put the podcast in. But every podcast that you guys 
every single time I listen to it, I feel like I have three or four points that I'm like, I would never have known this otherwise. This is so intelligent. This is such a, a, an applicable thing. I need to apply this to my life and to my writing right now. And so a lot of times I'll kind of stop there and start working on whatever it is, and then I'll listen to the next one. So I'm working through them. I got those two left. Two left. Okay, let us know when you've, you've done that. <laughs> Do I get a gold star? <laughs> oh, man, you get multiple gold stars. <laughs> so tell us about one of the things you did um, that you got from the podcast was working with your discarded manuscript, and you used that as a tool to get yourself this three-book deal. Tell us a little bit about that. Yeah, no, I think it was um, awesome, your podcast on that. Um, creating a reader magnet, I think was number 145. And um, there were several others in there that were awesome. But yeah, so I was able to do my free ebook for like $19, which was awesome. And as far as the creation goes. Was that using Fiverr for like the cover and for the typesetting? Like what did you spend those $19 on? No, I made my own cover. So, well, I will say I probably, I spent like $200 on the editing. Um, and then I made my own cover. Um, I spent the $19 using press books and I did the ebook pro and I did $19 for the interior formatting, which I later on subscribers ended up requesting a PDF version. So I later on did the $99 version, but at first I just did the $19 version. So I learned you can do this so inexpensively, which is awesome. Okay, so you created the ebook and people could download it in exchange for uh, their email address. What kind of impact did that have on your email list? Yeah, um, that was a, a huge impact. I had about four, I tried really hard <laughs> for like two years or a year or something. And I had about 40 subscribers and those were basically your supportive friends and family. And um, then I learned a lot in this podcast about how you really need to be specific and you need to be mindful of like what your brand is, what you're trying to give to the to subscribers, what is what gives value. And so um, having a free ebook um, not only gave me confidence to be like, oh, I am a writer and I'm offering a service. It helped me justify asking people to join my newsletter. And that was a huge mental shift for me to say something like, I have something free for you is huge. Um, but so I went from 40 at the time I, um, I also had my manuscript waiting with a couple of publishers, one of which was Thomas Nelson. And it was, it was about to go to pub board and I really wanted to be able to, um, have more than 40 subscribers <laughs> for my platform on my proposal. And so, um, I went ahead and did some Facebook advertising, did like two weeks of really hardcore Facebook advertising and was able to um, say, you know, click to get my free ebook. And I was able to gain quite a few subscribers that way in a short amount of time. But then I've also been able since then to do like book funnel promos um, that are just part of having book funnel, which is key. Um, using Insta freebie, um, doing doing newsletter kind of swap shout outs with other people there were just so many ways putting putting the link to my free ebook on my facebook page or my instagram page or in my in my signature of my email you know there are just so many places that you can put your free ebook and i was just able to gain i'm, I'm up to like probably three thousand at this point and it's been like five months 
And in the first seven days, you went from those 44 to around 700, right? So yeah. you saw a huge jump. And, and how much did you spend on uh, Facebook advertisements uh, during those that first week? Gosh, I don't know specifics, but I do know that I definitely was willing. I don't know. I feel like I spent $70 a day for two weeks because for me, my mindset was, you know, this is really going to pub board. I really want newsletter subscribers. Um, and the cost of a conference is like a thousand dollars. And so I had reserves money, reserved money. And I thought, okay, well, I'm going to spend this money and I feel like I might get a good return out of it because it establishes me a bit more. And it did. And I will say, you know, I think it's as far as organic versus inorganic subscribers, I'm still a little confused on that, to be frank. You guys should totally explain that to me um, in a future podcast that I'll be listening to on the lawnmower. <laughs> <laughs> but um, I will say I haven't had that many people unsubscribe. I've I've had quite a few people um, from advertising and from BookFunnel and from InstaFreebie. Not, not as much from InstaFreebie. I think people are more used to unsubscribing because they get so many books. But from these other other methods, people really stick around or, and they'll reply to my emails and things like that. So I think it is encouraging and it is a good use of the money that I was able to put in. Now I do like $1 a day. I have budgeted for $1 a day and I just like, I like seeing it grow personally. And I will say that's very impressive to a publisher to see that constant growth, especially amongst uh, novelists, because so few novelists have any platform to speak up. Uh, so for nonfiction, 3,000 people on your email list is you know par for the course. That's really on the small side. But for fiction, especially in traditional world, for a debut novelist, that is just unheard of. <laughs> Nobody has an email list uh, that big because a lot of novelists feel like they have to have their first book out already before they can build their email list, which if you've been listening to the show, you know is not true. <laughs> but a lot of novelists don't know that yet. And another thing, you, I, it's evident from listening to you talk, Melissa, is you went into this thing with a business mindset, not just I'm a writer, I'm a businesswoman, and I'm going to do the things to set my career from the very start. So congratulations on truly being an entrepreneur. Oh, you're sweet. I feel like I've learned a lot from this podcast. <laughs> All right, enough back scratching. <laughs> I know. No, you're the best. <laughs> <laughs> no, you're the best. Stop it. No. <laughs> Um, so we wanted to put you on the spot. In our last episode, we talked about elevator pitches. And so we'd like for, to hear you give us an example of the elevator pitch uh, that you use uh, for your current book and what it's like to actually give your elevator pitch in the real world. Yeah. Well, in the real world, I'm terrible at elevator pitches. Um, in the real world, when people ask me, it's, it's, a, it's a real challenge. But um, I feel like with the dating charade, I've practiced a little bit more and and also, I feel like, I will say, with Red Carpet Summer, when I tried to give the pitch about it, I had a, I, I really struggled to nail down what it's about. And I think sometimes the more marketable a book is, the easier it is to say your pitch. It just kind of rolls off the tongue. So, sorry, that was kind of long-winded. But the point is, um, the dating charade is about um, two people that go on a knockout first date, and they tell each other that they don't want any kids, and then they come home to find three kids dropped in their laps each. So they don't want to tamper with their new relationship. So they hide the fact of the kids from each other while they try to sort it all out. Awesome. 
Like that's a fun hook and and you're able to know exactly what the one hook is. And there's a lot more that happens in the book that you don't talk about in the elevator pitch. And I think that's uh, really key. Uh, Have you ever given it in in a real elevator? Have you ever practiced (laughs) it that way? I have indeed. I have indeed. I was at ACFW. So it really does happen. Um, I was at ACFW. I saw this girl, um, who I knew was an editor that I had tried to get an appointment with, but she didn't end up on my list and she was walking towards the elevator. No one else was around. And so I like scurried up to her and I was like, Hey, and we both walked into the elevator together and I said, Hey, I didn't get a chance, but can I tell you about my book now? And she said, sure. And she like pressed the button for her floor and we started going and I had about four seconds to tell her and, um, and I will say, give yourself grace. I, other people should give themselves grace because I basically was real honest. And I was like, well, uh, and I tried my best, but I, you know, this was for red carpet summer, the free ebook. And I basically was like, it's about a girl and she goes on a cool trip. You should read it or something. <laughs> and, she, and she was like, okay, well, email me. <laughs> so, so editors are really nice at these conferences too, typically. And so I will say, don't be scared to approach them. Yeah, of all the things that you did uh, to stand out, other than acing elevator pitches, right? Just uh, you know, <laughs> when you're put on the spot, of all the things you did to stand out, what were some of the things you felt uh, made the biggest difference as opposed to things that did make as much of a difference when it came to building your platform and wooing a major uh, publisher? Things that made a difference. Um, I don't know. I feel like I really, with this book, I actually listened to the editors when they said, this is what we are looking for. You know, you'll see those, for instance, if you go to ACFW, you'll see the editors and they'll say, this is what we're looking for. Pitch to us about this stuff. And that was my, The Dating Straight is my third book. And I feel like the first two times I did what, solely what I wanted to do um, without regard for what they might be looking for. And then you just kind of like slide it in, hoping it'll work, which they're like, this isn't at all. What? <laughs> um, whereas, whereas this time I was really mindful to say, okay, if they want 80,000 words, a 70 to 80,000 word manuscript, and they are looking for, you know, for example, contemporary romance, and they like it when there's not, you know, a love triangle, for example, or a road trip romance, um, which was the problem with Red Carpet Summer, whatever. They really like it to be about X, Y, or Z. Um, Then for me, I said, I decided, you know, I'm going to, I found something that I loved. I realized I love You've Got Mail movie. I love it. And I was like, I would love to create a book with that kind of feel. And so I realized I can work with that. So I wrote what I loved in the, in the format they loved and I think that was that was key. Pay attention to what people want. That's really key. I remember as a kid, we read out loud the book Peter Pan, uh, which it turns out is nothing like the Disney film. So you, uh, in the actual Peter Pan one-off, it's super violent. At one point, the Lost Boys are sweeping pirate blood off of the top of their fort after a major battle. And the Lost Boys can fly. And one of the things that's interesting is that in their hideout, the Lost Boys have to adapt themselves. Each one of them have a, has a private chute that they like fly through to get in and out of the hideout. And because they adapt themselves to fit their personal chute, when the pirates chase them, they can't get into the hideout. So they're always safe 
in the hideout, which is really key, except for one of the Lost Boys gains weight and he adapts his shoot to fit him rather than him adapting for his shoot. And the pirates are able to get in and they end up killing a bunch of the Lost Boys. Oh See, these old timey novels are like <laughs> really like harsh, right? Like wow. Hansel and Gretel got eaten, right? Like everybody dies. Oh, three little pigs all got eaten. Anyway, um, <laughs> but the point is so often uh, as authors, we are unwilling to adapt ourselves for the shoot like those Lost Boys did. And instead, we want to try to adapt the shoot to fit us. We want to, you know, find readers for our novel rather than adapting a novel for our readers. And in that mindset shift that you went through, I think it really is the key to success. It's what publishers are looking for. And it's also the key to success as an indie, right? We've had Chris Fox on the show, you know, one of the kings of the indie world right now. And he talks about writing for the market, right? It's not about trying to make readers like the kind of writing that you do. It's about writing the kind of books that readers like. Something else, Melissa, that went by really quickly, but I want to point this out to everyone listening. This was interesting, and this is important. Um, if a mousetrap has never been invented before, you're not going to make the big, massive hit off of inventing a mousetrap. You're going to make the big, massive hit out of making the mousetrap better. In other words, adapting that mousetrap and doing something different, something unusual with it. So you said... I love you've got mail. And I wanted to write a story with that kind of feel to it, that kind of vibe. You pitched that to a publisher. They immediately, most people who uh, know anything about romance are going to go, oh, I know that movie. I love that movie. Oh, you're doing something along there. So they immediately have an association with it. They can grasp it. They can see it in their mind. And then if you do come up with a little bit of a twist on that, it becomes very appealing. And that could be a hook for your readers as well when you start promoting this book. One of the things that I did without my last book, as I said, or the man he never was. No, the, the one before this one is coming out in May. I have a book coming out in May, but the man he never was, I pitched that as it's Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde meets the movie, the family man. Oh, okay. We start to get a feel for what it is. So you did that really well. All right, Melissa, we are running out of time, but real quick, if you could go back in time and give advice to your past self, uh, what would you say, right? If you went back and talked to yourself seven years ago, and then you could talk to yourself two years ago, what were some of the things that you learned the hard way or you wish you had known along this journey of getting published? Um, I would say two things, and this is what I tell other people often. One, go to a writer's conference. Do not hesitate. Do not be finished with your book first. Just go because then you will learn for sure. You will learn so much there. You will gain author friendships. It will just be a life changer for you and a game changer. And second of all, I would say the writing journey is really complicated. And I have found for myself a lot of opportunities I've had to turn down that were not the right ones for me, or they were smaller opportunities that seemed like they might be a little bit of a red flag. I would say be mindful of that or be prayerful of that and just ask for other authors' guidance on that. Um, seek, seek out because authors are really friendly and and just never be afraid to ask people and really be, be cautious with the steps that you take and just don't jump at every single first opportunity that comes up. You know, if a publisher you know, wants you to pay $10,000 or something, like I've had to my friends, if they want, you know, you to pay a whole lot of money, you know, there might be other opportunities out there that are not as expensive where you can do it yourself or, you know, things like that. Yeah, that's really good because ultimately you ended up with HarperCollins. <laughs> so it's, uh, by waiting and doing it right, you didn't take uh, the shortcut. 
there's a lot of indie publishing scam artists and those uh, folks will charge you a whole lot to do what you can often do for free or for cheap on Amazon. But to do it for free or for cheap on Amazon, you have to know enough to do it yourself. And a lot of people who are wanting to take shortcuts, somebody's like, hey, for $10,000, I'll put your book on KDP and anyone with a Kindle can buy your book. And if you don't know any better, you're like, wow, I get on all of the Kindles, you know, for $10,000. Like, yeah, actually, if you know where to go, you can do that for free. Like, this isn't complicated. Um, And so it was good that you took the more difficult path. Okay, Melissa, speaking of newsletters, where can people sign up for yours? Yeah, well, um, I actually created, people ask me a lot, you know, how did you create this? What did you use, Pressbooks or MailChimp or BookFunnel or, you know, what's your sequence here? So I created a free PowerPoint step-by-step guide to creating your own ebook and using it to gain subscribers. And I created that PowerPoint and it's on my website, which is melissaferguson.com. Um, and you can sign up and get that free ebook and get that free PowerPoint um, if you sign up for my newsletter. Great. And again, that that's mlferguson.com. Yeah, it's mlferguson.com or I actually paid a lot of attention to your, what was it, um, episode 97, Mistakes author with Author Names. <laughs> and so I did a lot of hassling or haggling and bought my own domain name, melissaferguson.com, which will automatically switch you ah, over. Nice. Yeah. <laughs> well done. Well done, <laughs> melissaferguson.com. Well done. And also, good job on creating a lead magnet specifically for. Uh, an audience, right? Like not all of our audience would be interested in your speculative fiction, but a, P- a PowerPoint on how to create an ebook is exactly the sort of thing that people would be interested in. And so good job adapting, right? Use the right bait for the right kind of fish. So if you want to see somebody who gets it and is doing it well, go to melissaferguson.com. And as always, we will have a link to that uh, website in the show notes. Uh, so you can just tap with your finger. And by the way, Melissa, you are absolutely dead on correct. It is 145 that is the lead magnet episode. So when I said you were crazy smart, I guess I guess we were correct on that, Thomas. <laughs> All right. Um, well, thank you so much uh, for joining us today. Our featured patron today is the Embers series. A hurricane and a series of unexplained fires hits too close to home. What will it, Inspector Cassandra McCarthy uh, do to protect the citizens of Silver Heights. And our sponsor today is The Five-Year Plan. Yeah, Five-Year Plan to Becoming an Overnight Best-Selling Author. This plan is something Thomas and I came up with a number of years ago. And essentially, we put together what I wish I would have known when I was starting out on, on how to cut the time in half. Typically, it takes a, a novelist 10 years to get published. And Thomas and I said, there's a way to do it in five. So it is a lot of work, but we go step by step, year by year, quarter by quarter on what you need to do. We tell you what books to read, what exercises to go through. Toward the end, we get into branding and social marketing and all that kind of thing. And really, it is a comprehensive course. If you've been struggling and want to go, how do I get published? This is the course to take. And the nice thing about it, it is a money back guarantee. If you take the course and after five years, you are not a best selling author, we'll give you all your money back. So, um, risk-free. We'd love you to check it out. And you can learn more at novelmarketing.com slash courses. 
You've been listening to James L. Rubart, Melissa Ferguson, and Thomas Umstead Jr. on the Novel Marketing Podcast, giving you innovative ideas on how to promote yourself and your writing offline, online, and everywhere in between. Thanks for listening.